Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 266 on Tuesday, the 16th of July, 2019. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Alex. And this week, we'll be talking about how the government has successfully got its citizens to spy on one another. We'll also be asking, if no one knows where something goes, can we actually say it's pollution? And we learn about a technology that I do approve of. So first, though, there is a smidgen of follow-up. And alluded to it in the introduction. But it is a year ago now since the Dashcam portal was opened by the police asking concerned drivers, I think is the polite way to put it, concerned drivers to submit Dashcam footage uh, that would help them to speed up the process or enable them to investigate incidents where potentially dangerous driving or illegal driving has taken place and then they could deal with it from there. This has been quite successful from a point of view that they've had 9,000, no, sorry, they've saved through investigations 9,700 work days of processing time because we, the public, have processed it for them. They've had 4,891 videos submitted since launch. And they state that that is the equivalent of 68,474 hours of police time saved. So from that point of view, allowing the police to be more efficient, that is a good thing. I still, however, have great reservations about enabling us all to become spies on our fellow citizens. I'm not... Not overblown by that, I have to say. But uh, from from all this, there has actually been a an, a number of prosecutions and investigations. So fifty percent of the dashcam videos submitted have been investigated, and half of those have resulted in prosecutions with outcomes ranging from. And I'm quoting here from a business car article, which will be in the show notes as ever ranging from out-of-court written warnings and penalty points to court cases and driving bans. As with a lot of these things, again, me speaking of my own opinion, <laughs> there is a good idea behind it. I I just worry that we're being sort of brought in and technology, our technology is enabled and used by the police when perhaps the government should be funding the police more? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a workaround, isn't it? It's a necessary workaround for the situation that yeah. we're in. I mean, the, the standard of you know, bad habits that you see on the road all the time, you don't have to do a very long motorway journey before you see people doing all sorts of stuff. Because you saw biker nearly get wiped out by a 206 that suddenly decided to dart across two lanes earlier. I said bike. I think it might have been a scooter. I'm afraid my my knowledge of two wheels is not is not as uh, strong as it is in the of four. <laughs> but it seems. I mean, it seems to me like a good use of the technology that's already there. People are using these cameras more and more. I tell you what, I'd love to see. You know, if you say because the article says so, half is it half have led to uh, investigation and half of those have led to prosecution. Mm. I wonder out of the other half, some of the stuff that's they get in and they go. Oh. I mean, it, has that <laughs> resulted in? Sorry, you've just wasted police time. Exactly. That. The the other thing that I think with this is the number of dash cams that you see where they're placed right in the middle of the screen. Mm. That's the other. That is the other thing. Is it's kind of it's all very well people recording what's going on in front of them. I remember seeing a, a I think it was an E class parked outside my a fish and chip shop near us, and it had a massive dash cam just mounted right smack bang in the middle of the screen below the rearview mirror. So uh, someone sometimes need to police, needs to police the police in this case, I think. But uh... yeah, I, I mean, I totally understand the the advantages of having a dash cam, particularly when we've got uh, the the likes of these people who uh, make false insurance claims mm. and all that sort of stuff. And if you are hit in an accident, you've actually got evidence to either support mm. your case or if you've done something silly, support whoever's been infected's case yeah and, and that's a, and that is a good thing just unfortunately a lot of the times as you say and this is this verging on stereotyping now but a lot of the times around where i live the people who've got them tend to be a 
certain type of driver. Tend to be the sort of people who probably ought to be on the other end of the, the camera. Yes, yeah. yes. And as you say, the way they're mounted and things like that isn't clever. And yes, it's, it's like so, sometimes you see with the mobile phones where people have got the, you know, the massive yeah, mobile phone that's I, just slapped in the middle of the screen. You sort of go, yeah, I'd, I'd rather you just, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you've got your phone in a cradle and you're not actually holding it, but could you look out the window? <laughs> I've seen a tablet mounted with uh, sat-nav running on it, on the, again, on the nice. M4. Nice. Someone crawling along the inside lane of the M4 with an iPad stuck in the inside of their screen. <laughs> what are you doing? I wanted a Tesla, but this is all I got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, let's move on to uh, some news, actually, about rapid chargers. Yes, and something that I think anyone who's uh, who's done any distance in an EV will will be cheering about. Uh, all, all new rapid chargers and all high-powered charging points will have to offer contactless card payments by spring 2020 at long last. The Department for Transport is uh, is is launching a consultation on home charging points, and it's saying that it wants the industry to develop a roaming solution which allows people to go between networks uh, for public charging. It just seems like a kind of a sensible move in the right direction, I think, for the infrastructure. That screams to me, that little bit, screams to me of someone like ZapMap mm. becoming a a portal for payments because mm. they have so much, they have contact with all the providers or pretty much all the providers already that, if they wanted to go down that route, someone like that, it would it would seem to fit nicely into what else they're doing. Totally. I'm almost surprised that hasn't happened already. But, I mean, again, I suppose you could argue with that, that even then you'd, you'd have to have a membership set up to even to access all the different networks. It's still... You still yeah, I think you'll still, you'll still have to be registered with the original user, mm. but you've got a central hub, and I suppose it's, you know, it's, it's enabling access like we have to with, certain apps yeah now i say yes you can access this account and that account that i'm i'm posting via or whatever it's interesting I mean, it, um so instavolt have already got uh, I, I know people have questioned online not all of them work some of them are on free vend because they haven't been fully sort of set up and so on some of them are on trials with the i think as a host you get to decide what rate people pay when they use them and actually once you have used it i mean okay i i, I would imagine you'll still have a membership system where you'll pay you know, either monthly or you'll have an ability to be a member and probably get discounted rates. But the ability to turn up at, an, at picking on Instavolt here because they've already got this in place to turn up to just tap your card, just get on with it. Uh, it's just it's 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 brilliant and it, it makes so much sense. Inst uh, interestingly, even with a free vend situation, so I mean, I used a, a charging point today. A classic example of of the kind of stuff you have to deal with if you if you end up in a in a, in a situation where you're dealing with some of the kind of the not not so well thought out parts of the network. I uh, was at a conference centre earlier in the countryside and it had a charging point outside that was on free vend. Uh, it was free to use for, if you're a, if you're a visitor. However, there wasn't enough mobile phone signal in the car park for me to use the app connected to the network to activate the charging point. So I couldn't just plug it in and walk away, even though it was free. Had to download, re-download the app because it was my phone had decided to delete it to save space. So I had to go into the, plug the car in, go into the conference center, get on the Wi-Fi, download the app, sign into my account, re-enter my payment details. Some of this is admittedly my fault for not using it regularly enough. But even so, take out all of that out. I've still got to plug it in, go into the conference center, get on the Wi-Fi, start the, start the charge, then go back to the car and lock the damn thing before it starts charging. This thing is on free vend. Whereas, actually, interesting, I did a, did a project over in Norway a few years ago, and some of the charging points out there, they're free to use, but they just use an RFID card to get to, to, to allow access. Okay. We used, uh, some of us tried it with hotel keys, for example, that we had on us. And you just ping this thing against the post, and it unlocks it and lets you use it. It doesn't charge you anything, so you can, you can use anything with an RFID chip in it. But obviously that meant then makes that card the key to get, the car on or off that that point it just yeah. seems so simple the the app thing see, has come in in the last few years and yes it does you know it enables all payments and everything like that but and it means you don't have to sign up and wait for the card to come through but actually there's some backward steps involved with it as well and um, certainly early stuff that you know it's early drip journeys that i did where i had a, a wadge of cards you could pull up and almost treat it like a pit stop just get out tap it on the machine and off you go so once you have gone through the rigmarole of getting the card there, the actual process is pretty easy. And I think in some ways the app stuff feels like a step back from that. 
I honestly wouldn't be bothered about keeping a card rather than having to try and do everything through an app. That doesn't fuss me. But maybe having a set one central card again. Yeah. I'm just pulling ZapMap yeah, yeah. out here. The ZapMap charge card that goes back to your account and goes, "All right, you were here, here, and here. This is how much you used. These are the ones. Right, we've got your payment details, so we're taking that money out already and passing it on to them." Just seems seems sensible. But ChargeMaster announced, didn't they? BP ChargeMaster announced that their charging points will rapid charging points will have this fitted, and they're going to retroactively. Yeah, they're they're cracking on with it now. So the government. The time schedule on this seems to me to be a little bit slow. It's sort of saying that, you know, from next spring, you'll have to start putting these points in with uh, contactless access. Whereas ChargeMaster is saying it will have all of its network, or as I understand it, it will have all of its network converted by that point, which to me seems yeah. like, just get on with it. Well, I, sp- I spoke to uh, Daniel Puddlecombe about this because he actually inquired with the Department for Transport about this. Mm. They are not, the government are not demanding this is retroactively mm. fitted. Yeah. So this is only moving forward, which seems like a bit of a, of all of this, apart from the timescale, that's a very much a missed opportunity, I feel. Yes, and also it's kind of repeating an old mistake. I mean, if you think about where the earliest rapid charge points were put in, I'm not naming any names here, and the reliability of said know. points... <laughs> Essentially, the charging network's been put in in the most strategic places first, hasn't it? So essentially, Mm. if you're not requiring those early points to be backdated, you're creating another problem because all the new points that are going in and filling in the gaps, which are still useful, will have this technology, but the kind of the the main, you know, the the point-to-point stuff won't necessarily have it or there's no requirement to have it. They don't seem to learn. No, no. <laughs> People do not ask the questions, you know, what 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 went well and what didn't go well last time, yeah. and can we learn any lessons? <laughs> just, well, the fallout just... from the initial plugged-in places schemes, I mean, I, I don't know how familiar everyone is with those, but the government had a, a number of kind of regional plugged-in places schemes where it backed rolling out charging infrastructure, and the requirements on those were pretty low. I mean, some of those units were quite low-tech, low-speed, not even connected to the internet, and when the government funding ran out, the network... Some some of them were taken over by what is now VP Charge Master, and other ones just kind of fell into disuse. And you'll, you've got old units from plugged-in places schemes that have probably never been replaced, or are in kind of obscure places and not compatible with the latest apps and so on. It's just learn from it, kind of go right. Okay, we've made these mistakes yeah. in the past. Let's be really streamlined with this. This needs to happen. Let's just standardise it. They're only spending a small amount of money relative terms to all this of what's needed and everything. Mm. You'd like to think that they were then doing it in the best possible manner mm. and, and being most efficient with the money. <laughs> but Oh, uh, talking of BP charge master, they did also announce a price rise as well for some of their customers. Now I know on this show, we are big fans of BP charge master and they have uh, helped us and they do help us when it comes to us testing electric vehicles. So just disclaimer, but I think the way they've handled how they've rolled out or announced this price rise, I think is a lesson to a lot of companies, not just in the motor industry (laughs) onto how to deal with it, how to be open, how to be, looking like you're having a conversation with your customers you've you've listened to them but you've explained your side of things and why why things have to be increased you know because well, look at all the investment they're doing for starters and hopefully people will learn those lessons and it's just a bit of a congratulations to bp charge master for handling that relatively well you're always going to get some people who are unhappy but i think as you look at things it's understandable why there is a quite a small price rise really in the grand scheme of things it's having a strategy and being able to uh, justify it and uh, again some networks have gone out with uh, price rises or putting new price systems in place haven't thought about it as much as they should have done and have then rapidly changed it again at the last minute yeah as you say there's ways to handle it and there's ways not to handle it and um, i know which is the way to handle it out of those two <laughs> yeah right we're going to stick with electric vehicles but this is the news of Ford is going to take advantage of Volkswagen's MEB platform for at least one electric vehicle in Europe by 2023. Now, this is all part of their global, I don't want to say alliance because that's not quite right, but sort of agreement, uh, working together sort of 
thingy because it's not alliance because the alliance that we know is obviously the rebel alliance that seems to be disintegrating between France and Japan at the moment going really badly wrong mm. <laughs> now that the one person who seemed to be holding it all together is no longer there <laughs> doing that Ford have got together with Volkswagen and they are trying to share costs which I think 20 years ago everyone would have been shocked at the two two such big companies doing this but you look at how much because they're, share, they're sharing costs on autonomous vehicles or autonomous technology mm. let's be clear about this everybody try and get it all right including me but electrification as well of their of their brands because both of them have been i think caught a little flat-footed on how that's changed mm-hmm. quite rapidly in particularly in the last five eight years mm. and how the things that have gone on possibly involving one of the companies in this alliance has accelerated the change yes absolutely (laughs) and uh, public opinion and requirements and desires and therefore legislation as well but uh, they've got they've got to share these costs because you know ford famously doesn't do bank loans Mm. and volkswagen has got massive bills and uh, you know outstanding fines and payments they have to make thanks to dieselgate so they they both need this really to move forward and to move forward quickly mm. as much as anything i'd be interested to see what ford design on top of the platform will it be a volkswagen clone or will they you know with a with the ford face on the front or will it be yeah i mean technically you've got a lot of freedom on top of an nev platform especially a kind of a skateboard like battery under the floor motor at each end you can pretty much put whatever you want on top of it yeah so yeah it'd be interesting to see where they go with it it's, I mean, yeah, it feels like a, a good fit. And actually, the interesting thing is that if you look at the, the kind of the big challenges that face the automotive industry at the moment, they do seem to be being tackled collaboratively. So if you look at kind of BMW and Daimler, but obviously BMW's got um, FCA in on its autonomous driving campus near Munich. Mm. And you've got various kind of alliances on fuel cell technology as well. Um, yeah. you know, Audi, Hyundai, and you've had ones with Honda and uh, GM, and it, it's it, these are big challenges, big engineering challenges, and huge shifts for the industry. And I think it makes sense that even if you're a large company like BW, like Ford, that you you, you leverage the, the strengths of one another, and you define what you offer customers by the services that you offer and the kind of the the stuff that you touch and that you notice. And I think it's quite easy to separate the brands out and for you to have something that doesn't feel I mean, certainly the Volkswagen collaborations in the past. I don't know if you've ever seen Volkswagen's Ford Orion that they sold over in. No. Uh, Volks, Volkswagen for a short amount of time in the 80s did an Orion with a Volkswagen badge on it. I can't for the life of me remember what it's called, but it is literally an Orion with a Volkswagen badge on it. And a Volkswagen grill, to be fair. It does have a grill as well. But, yeah, um, I think it'll be a little bit more convincing than that. And if it's based on ID3 technology or even IDR technology, oh, next, next GT. Interesting, based on the idea. <laughs> but I think we're more likely to see something focused, aren't we, based on the ID3. So I think yeah. that'll be that could be a really interesting product. Ford, to my mind, have never really pushed the EV side of things hard enough. Uh, a lot of what they're yeah. saying is what people were saying a few years ago. The, the more advanced companies were saying two or three years ago. You're talking about transit in a couple of years, and you're kind of saying we should be transit now, maybe in a year's time at yeah. the most. Yeah. Particularly the little Connect one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it's, is it still called the Connect? Uh, Korea. I can't, yeah. I can't remember yeah. Korea. Yeah, but but the smaller one that they sometimes make the car MPV mm. uh, derivative out of. That seems like a perfect one to have at least as hybrid mm. because of where that's going to work more often than not. It's going to be in an urban area, so you know, get in there, get in now. I I just think I. I think all the German manufacturers are have been slow on this. Mm. I think they've all been caught flat-footed, and there's a lot of scrambling that's going on. Ford, GM, but GM weren't. But now they are yeah. going to be slow again. I, and now they've left, so that, that doesn't matter. But you, you're looking like the... I mean, Hyundai and Kia seem to be the ones pushing. Yeah, Hyundai and Kia are flying at the moment. For for us average consumers, mm. Jaguar has done a great job of getting that iPace out. Mm. That is that is a fabulous job, considering how alien that must have been to the whole company mm. to go into that to the depth they have mm. and to have done it as successfully as they have. That you know, so many great reports about them. 
they are selling more and more. I think they just can't build enough. Mm. I think is is the case with all electric cars, mm. which which we can see sometimes on Twitter when people put out, "Oh, look at these sales figures." Go, no, there is demand. Yeah. There just isn't the supply. Yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of scrambling by many companies, but hopefully that means when they do come in, they're going to hit. Not five years ago, they're going to hit current. You'll get on with it, yeah. At least, if not push it on forward. So we'll have to see. What, I mean, it's not going to be for lack of trying because legislation's just changing so far that they have to do it. Mm. And and and, uh, and also, I mean, it's important as well. That, I mean, ID3, looking at the camo pictures of it, looks quite in a nice way, ordinary. It doesn't look wacky. Yeah. No, it's it's it, here's a car that just happens to be electric. Exactly that. And if Ford can do something similar, it, let's not forget the importance of a, a really familiar fat brand like Ford offering a Ford hatchback that's electric, and Volkswagen offering a, a Volkswagen hatchback that's electric. And mm. that there's no, you know, especially with sort of familiar ranges. I mean, the the Golf is the Golf, the ID3 is is looks like it'll easily be over 300 miles of realistic sort of real world usable range in the in its highest spec version. So and that smashes what everybody would need before needing exactly, to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Before needing to stop anyway. Exactly <laughs> so, that. So uh, it, if you know, if they're sharing good technology, I, I can, can't go wrong, and it feels like a really good match. And, and I think we'll we'll benefit from it, us us the consumer, definitely. Mm. Right, we're going to stick with uh, batteries, but this is uh, in the UK, amazingly. Yes, yeah, so um, Hyperdrive is a company based up in Sunderland, and they are looking at uh, opening a, a new battery manufacturing facility, which will produce 30,000 packs per year. Now, the interesting thing with Hyperdrive is, I interviewed them a few years ago when they were kind of expanding up there, and they're talking packs, not kilowatt hours here. Uh, and the interesting thing about that is that actually they, they're buying in the cells from AESC, which is Nissan's old battery manufacturing subsidiary uh, now owned by a Chinese company and what they do is they they come up with they create packs that allow them you can optimize the cells for use in things like street sweepers and uh, pushback tractors at airports and things like that where they're sat idling so what they're doing with these is actually well then you know this won't necessarily kind of produce packs for you know the next uh, sake of argument focus electric this is kind of producing bespoke small volume battery packs for industrial vehicles that are using other otherwise be using diesel engines and don't necessarily need to. Mm. It's a, it's a fascinating kind of thing to have, and obviously being based in Sunderland means that they're close to where Nissan is producing the packs, and it's just it's it's utilising the cell building facilities that they've got up there and and the kind of locality of it, and the supply chain that's available to to produce these kind of adaptable packs for for vehicles that would otherwise be very expensive to produce packs for. So it's it's, useful. Yeah. it's a nice thing to see happening in the UK, I think. Yeah, and industry is it's like with any autonomous technology as well. I think it being deployed in industry makes so much sense and helps us out as the consumer mm. because the industry will put up with a lot more rough edges mm. because of what they're putting these things through. Mm. And it's a controlled environment generally. Yeah. Getting them into industry as well is key to improving for us as the consumer and us as the buying public. And and it helps the manufacturers out massively, I think. Yeah, and I would imagine it must it must add some scale to I mean the Nissan yeah, Nissan will have a lot of scale at that factory anyway, or sorry, AESC will have a lot of you know, scale in, of um, production there anyway. But, you know, the more customers that you add into that, it's also it's supporting both ways, isn't it? It's mm. utilising that technology and boosting volumes for them. So yeah. that's an interesting project. So. No, it is. I, I, I like the, the sound. And it's great for the Sunderland area as well. Yeah, absolutely, um, yes. The, yeah. The, there is, a, you know, an, a large-ish employer going mm. to be there. Uh, and maybe helping out in that side of things. So that's good. Right, going to move on to, again, sticking with electrified vehicles. This wasn't intentional, by the way, everybody. This is just how the news has happened in the last seven days. But uh, Jaguar Land Rover has got some loan guarantees from the government following their announcement that they're going to build, they're going to uh, invest in the Castle Bromwich site for electrified vehicles the government is guaranteeing a 500 million pounds worth of loan which let's be realistic means if it goes wahoonie shaped the government will pay everybody so uh <laughs> the government 
let's be realistic about this as well. The government needs some successful good news in the motoring industry. It is understandable why they have guaranteed this. Yeah. I think it's a fairly safe bet to say they'll be okay. I would have said so, yeah. I, um, I don't think it's a much it's a it's a big problem for them at all. No. no, I I don't I don't see Jaguar messing this up. No. To the point where the company folds or something like that. No. Or or the government has to step in. I, I can't see that because because they've they've been so successful with the iPace. Mm. They I think they've done a lot of hard work up front and know a lot of things now. Mm. So their next steps will hopefully be quicker, smoother, more efficient. Yeah, they're not starting from scratch, are they? And they've got yeah. they're also obviously working with BMW now as well. So they're kind yep. of I think they're in it. No, I, again, Jaguar I think has got an opportunity here. Perhaps one that it should have. I suppose the market conditions have changed a lot, but just think if uh, Jaguar could have been almost like a kind of a dare I say like a kind of a British Tesla if it had kind of if they if they'd, with, a, with a good crystal ball a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. Been in a position where they had a real point, sort of point of difference through this, but no, I think, I think it's a good, a good opportunity for them. And, uh... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right now, I want to ask you: tire pollution. Huh. How real is it, Alex? <laughs> well, here it is. Here, here's the here's the issue: is uh, it seems actually nobody knows. Now, uh, I've I've seen a lot of um, a lot of dismissive stuff on social media about this over the last few days. Because yeah, what happened wasn't it? It was from the government's air quality expert group has has jumped up and down and said, "Whoa, dust particles and tire particles. Whoa, pollution." <laughs> Yes, it sounds like the next thing, the next stick to beat the car industry with. But actually, I mean, there's, I think there's, there's some truth in it. What they're looking at is that the uh, essentially, as you you get wear of brake pads, uh, brake discs, and tyres, obviously that that goes somewhere. And they're they're alleging that all over my front wheels. <laughs> well, yeah, this is it. Well, if you think that's going into the, it's going into the environment as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, essentially, what the government is sort of alleging with this is that um, there's something needs to be done about it, Dagnabbit. Uh, this is actually not just going on in the UK. There are pan-European studies going into going on at this at the moment, and it is a problem. But the industry doesn't necessarily know how big a problem it is yet. It's very hard to measure. Uh, a lot of the work that's gone on so far has been sort of based on estimates. I think you can figure out, certainly looking at tyres, how many tyres you get through in the European Union, roughly how much t- you know, how much. Uh, abrasion material comes off the, t- the the surface of the tyres as they, as they wear, and you can make a rough calculation then as to how much material is is going into the environment. But it is an estimate, and also it's worth remembering that that is they classify it as a substance called tyre and roadwear particles, and half of that by volume is is actually road surface. So it's it, you think about all the tyres that are consumed in Europe. You think about scrubbing the surfaces off all of those tyres. And then doubling it with road surface. There's a lot of material out there somewhere. It's just at the moment the studies haven't produced yet. They are ongoing studies that will suggest where this is ending up. Then what on earth do you do next? Because that's the other thing is. Will they also establish if it's of a, I don't know, size or in a manner that is actually something we need to be worrying about as humans? Yeah, or you know, because is it? I think what I'm trying to say is, is it too big for us to ingest? Well, in, again, there's a lot or, of a lot of question marks around it, and what's known is that these. I mean, certainly the tyre and roadwear particles are quite heavy and probably don't stay in the air for that long. In fact, early studies that have been undertaken in Germany have suggested that they, even when they get into the the water system, if yeah, you know, if they go into say a, a storm drain without any sort of uh, filtration or anything on it, or anything that goes back through to like sewage plants and stuff as they would in city city centre drains, that this stuff isn't actually making it that far. Mm. The problem is, if it is making it out to sea, there was a, an EU report that came out, I think it was a European Commission report that came out uh, last year, and they were saying that actually tyres alone, so this is just tyres and not brakes, could be the single biggest source by quite a wide margin of microplastics in the ocean. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You think about where the We're mic- going to make David Attenborough very angry again, aren't we? <laughs> yes, that is a looming, potentially massive problem. Yes, there are calls for uh, better information about this, and from that, you'll probably see some sort of tire labelling that will go on. But essentially, what do you do about it? <laughs> it's you know, you, 
ban all cars. Ban all cars, ban all tyres. Ban all private cars, because we don't like the private people to have any freedom. The thing, this is what incensed people on social media is that actually yeah. that uh, the suggestion was we just all need to get out of our cars because, you know, we should be going back to nature and walking everywhere and so on. Well, I think one of, one of the phrases was actually, hang on a second, I'm trying to find it here in this BBC News article, it was something like the need to lure people out of their private cars or something yeah. like that. And it, it just gave the implication of you own, you privately own a car, therefore you're evil. And bad yes. and must only use public transport and it's easy to take that viewpoint because i i chose to take that viewpoint but i chose to take that viewpoint sort mm. of thing. i deliberately did that because you don't know we don't know how much that quote was taken out of context and what was said around it you, you'd like to hope but you can't guarantee it that there was a, a conversation about we need to encourage people that if they can do other journeys that perhaps they're not doing it automatically in the car that they mm. think, Oh, well, I could walk that one or I could cycle that one. Or if you're a hipster, I could scooter that one. <laughs> Whatever uh, scooter's it is. got tires as well. Don't forget. <laughs> well, this is, and so does a bike and <laughs> so does a bus and so do taxis. For you, and, uh... and when it comes to brake dust, if anyone's questioning how much brake dust, just go in the tube in London <clears> and you wait and just watch, like 100, 200 yards before the, the tube comes through and all the, the muck that comes out, and that's brake dust. Yeah. So I can totally understand brake dust. And yes, obviously, tyre, they will get small enough to fling around. And if mm. they are making it, you know, if microplastics are horrifically bad for all of us. <laughs> but uh, we're behind the curve on that one. But you can also, I mean, a lot... A lot of this as well, you, you can figure out where the hotspots are going to be in terms of road design and in terms of, you know, you can improve road design to avoid areas or to certainly to mitigate some of the, the emissions of these uh, these particles, I think, as well. And also vehicles are changing, the technology in vehicles is changing, you're getting more sort of assistance systems creeping into cars now, which perhaps drive more smoothly than a human driver would. And the regen brakes. Regenerative braking as well, yeah. which is, again, my Outlander is, is pretty dirty at the moment. It's due for a wash this week. However, the front wheels on it are silver. Mm. My wife's car has had, a, has had a wash more recently. Neither my wife is a complete maniac on the brakes, which I don't think she is. <laughs> or because it's a normal petrol vehicle, the front wheels are black on it. Technology is changing, and actually that was picked up on in the article I noticed as well. It made the really obvious comment that as exhaust emissions, particulates from exhaust emissions go down, then proportionally brake and tyre dust will make up more, you know, particulates will be proportionally higher share of what's being put out. You kind of say, well, yeah, that's, that's obvious, isn't it? That's, yes, that's yeah. statistics. That's statistics, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it does show... Uh, and yes, I think that was almost an asinine thing to put in the article. It but what it what it what it does show, though, is that there's right. We've got that. That's we've got a handle on that. Yeah. We need to move on to the next thing mm. because there is it is it is never going to end. We are continually no. having to try and improve and minimize the impact. But we also have to realize any time we move as a human, we are causing an impact on the environment, whether mm. it's rubber off our trainers to you know, the, the tires off our bikes to using a 30 year old diesel engine, you know, this, there is a cost. There is an inherent cost in doing this, in moving in any way by interacting with the environment. We just have to understand and agree. We are prepared to accept this and this we're not prepared to accept and maybe mm. we can improve it. And that, I think that's going to be a never ending cycle because as we get better and better, you're just honing it finer and finer. The other issue is compared to microbeads. I mean, microbeads are an easy thing to ban. Yeah. But unlike microbeads, tyres and brakes, their performance is safety critical. Um, so there's an element of it where it's kind of, yes, this will, as you say, it can't be helped. It'll, it, they, you know, in order to, to, to grip the road, in order to, to, to stop vehicles, they will need to, they will be, in, you know, there will be some positive we want emissions at this point. We want please. friction, yes, exactly <laughs> that. So, I think reduce it, fine, yeah, but you won't be able to stop it altogether. I don't think, unless no. you stop people using their cars, and that's hovercraft. Oh no, hover! We're going to have the speeders from Star Wars or something. 
there'll be something on those. There'll be something. Yeah, then we'll be then we'll be blowing the dust in people's yeah. eyes or something. <laughs> right, I am going to move on to something that has been mentioned quite a lot recently, and that is to do with keyless entry to vehicles and how that can and usually does open them up for being more susceptible to being stolen. Now, this is uh, an article from which question mark? And the guy, I feel I have to say that because they make such a point of having the question mark in their logo. Uh, the, the German General Automobile Club, or ADAC, tested 237 keyless cars to see how many of those could be easily tricked into being opened and actually started by, uh, and I'm going to put the inverted commas here, thieves, because this was under control conditions. And so these were, these were the, the good people doing this. They found 230 of them could actually be opened and started. There was a further four that could be either unlocked or started, but not both. And there's only three, all of which are from JLR, which is good to see considering mm. they get a lot of stick on social media in Britain over this, mm. uh, that you, you couldn't unlock nor start nor do both together. Apparently, this means 99% of the cars tested have some sort of security flaw. It's, <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty dismal failure rate, really, isn't it? It is quite horrific, actually, yeah. considering the £5 pouch from Amazon will actually stop that. Mm. Yeah, there's no real excuse. And the interesting, I mean... You've also got the kind of the rise now of uh, smartphone-based unlocking and so on. I know was it Kaspersky Labs did a study a few years ago about this and just said, yeah, when you've got people with jailbroken phones and all sorts of uh, with you know apps on jailbroken phones to open cars and just the the amount of backdoors that you're putting in is just unbelievable. Every time you create uh, an a vector for someone to do something remotely you enable the bad people <laughs> to access it and yes. it just please please marketing stop saying this would be cool if this happened just stop saying that until you speak to security people instead who go it would be cool if it would work but it won't work how you want it to we'll lose cars <laughs> well there was that that thing the other week as well wasn't there about um insurance black boxes and they were saying with those because they are connected to the internet and if you then connect them into the obd port on your the diagnostic oh, yeah. ports on your yes. car that technically you're also then providing a, a direct route into the ecu wow yes. i mean yes, you yeah. are. if the wrong right. pin is, is activated <laughs> they can get access to your car yeah, but the EU is bringing in legislation which is going to absolutely scupper all these insurance black boxes. That means once the car's moving, nothing can be activated while connected to the OBD port. Mm. Yeah, it should just be you're not allowed any third party stuff activating the OBD port at all. <laughs> so, yeah. but it's no people have thought, oh, this would be a great thing for us, and just haven't. They just, there's a combination of people who have got no idea what it what the problems are to not caring mm. to oh it'll be all right just carry on mm. and it, it never is all right so it just no if, if you've got obd stuff people don't connect it up just don't connect it up if you can help it it's one thing for having your readers for codes but do not plug in uh, something that's going to tell you how well you've driven in inverted commas because, well, one, you're opening yourself to a security risk, but two, that's there's no there's no there's never been an explanation on any of these apps that say this is what we actually define as well driven. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> ignore that because <laughs> that's somebody else's algorithm that you're driving to, which isn't perhaps yeah valid. But if you have a keyless entry car, click through on the link to the article. Because in there is the full list of the cars tested by the ADAC, and you can see well the chances are yours yours yeah. is susceptible. So uh, read the article, then go and <laughs> buy yourself one of these pouches if you don't have one, and put your key in that because they they do actually work even at like a fiver. They do work. Alan tested it on his on his Grim, and he got right up next to the car, and it still wouldn't activate it. Uh, once yeah. it was in the pouch so it's a silly simple thing but do it because it's just not worth the hassle it really isn't 
And this has been rumbling on for years as well. I'm amazed it's still... (laughs) But I think there's been a lot of... The police have got involved in this now and a lot of consumer groups have started turning around and pointing the finger at OEMs going, "Uh, you've known this for a while now. We're still doing it. Why? Yeah. (laughs) Could you you please stop that now? (laughs) Because we like our cars on our drives. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's even they've shown it's even sticking it in a biscuit a biscuit tin to stop the signal being accessed or getting out. So, consumer it's, tip. It's not not dreadful. <laughs> it's not dreadfully hard to do. So, right, go on then, Alex. Tell us about how horrific the summer holidays start. The summer holidays for some most <sighs> is going to be this Friday. Well, up and down the land, my parents are dreading, starting to probably dread the uh, wondering what the hell to do with their kids for six weeks uh, period. Only it's, for uh, the last month. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be, uh, I'll be spending this Saturday uh, heading over to uh, to Legoland myself. So uh, yes, I'm, 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 uh, I'm going to probably experience some of what's been put out with this article. Do you not have a route sorted that's everywhere but the main roads yet? <laughs> Well, I've got ways, so that will probably sort me out. I hope so, anyway. uh, (laughs) But yes, essentially, a a Saturday spent in traffic jams and uh, and Legoland beckons. Um, We are coming around, of course, to to the summer holidays, and uh, that means uh, the full set of press releases about summer driving tips and uh, bank holiday chaos and summer chaos. You can almost kind of tip the usual suspects off the list. Yes, we'll make it a drinking game one one year. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yep, they're in there. Yeah, so the, so the RSC has put out some advice, basically uh, advising people when they should and shouldn't travel. They've done this based on surveys of when their members, I don't know, 1,500 members were going to travel, and they've combined this with data from INRIX, which is a company that uh, monitors traffic data in real time. So they've been, then kind of combined this data and worked out that uh, there are going to be a set of hotspots through the weekend where the traffic is going to be horrendous. Yeah, looking at kind of a six or seven hour gap on Thursday and then around Friday lunchtime, most of Saturday Saturday afternoon and a good chunk of Sunday as well. And they've kind of told you that the worst roads as well, so large sections of the M1, the M25, the M40, the M5 and the M20. In other words, basically all the usual roads that get really busy. <laughs> the ones that people trying to escape the country on. You, you get this. You get this every single every single kind of bank holiday weekend or Christmas or, or summer holiday. And basically, it's not so much a case of avoiding specific times. Just if you can avoid it, just don't don't join the rat race with this. Just yeah. if you can avoid travelling this weekend, just do it. Says somebody who's travelling this weekend. Ordinarily, I would be, but um, my son's been looking forward to it for a long, long time. We, we're a bit like rush hours, isn't it? We all want to travel at exactly the same time, and then we wonder why we get stuck in jams. Uh, but also in the show notes, uh, enough one of, enough of us lamenting about how bad we are in this country. But in, in the show notes, there's an article from Motoring Research about a new French super speed camera and what you need to know. But it also outlines some of the things that you need to be aware of driving in France. Uh, I've deliberately kept this article uh, to one side so Alan doesn't see it, so maybe we can have some hilarity at anything that maybe he encounters whilst in uh, in that there French France. So uh, do if you're going to France, do click through on the show notes and just get that extra bit of information so you are forewarned. Right, that takes us not to halfway through, but it does it does take us through to guilt minute and it's the point in the show where we like to remind you and ask you to think about and possibly even consider what the motion podcast is worth to you if you think it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange become a patron button which is on the front page if you are already a patron then thank you so much you help us massively and we struggle to thank you enough because we're british um so that that's always a problem for us but we you know we are very very grateful to all the help the financial help you give us but of course not everybody has the ability to help us financially so please don't forget to like rate and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice and if you've done all that obviously you're super fab people but we would ask, why not go and see, find a friend, or maybe not even a friend, but a, a, someone you know that you think may like this show. Uh, hopefully they will like this show. Don't, don't, don't send them our way if you don't think they're going to like the show. But if you think they're going to like the show and telling them about us, 
maybe even helping them to find us on their their podcast player, depending on what format of phone they have. Uh, and if you've done all that, that's ace. But uh, are you sure that you have sub- subscribed to us? It's free to subscribe. So just double check that you have. And if you haven't, do go and subscribe. And if you're not sure how to subscribe, if this is the first time or one of the few first few times you've come across us, get in touch with us. Details will be at the end of the show how to do that. And we'll be able to point you in the right direction. Or if it's not us, then we have some superb listeners who are able to help people out and have done in the past. So thank you so much for all your support, everybody. And we will now crack on with the Formula E news. And there's quite a bit because it was a doubleheader in New York and the end of the season. So I will start in the chronological order. So race one was Saturday. And Sebastian Buemi has given Nissan their first ever victory in the Formula E Championship because they were called something else uh, last time. They were It was Renault, I think, they were previously. But now uh, they are Nissan because that's more aligned with the direction of the company. So Buemi's given Nissan their first ever Formula E victory. And he started on pole, kept going. He was pushed a lot by Sims and uh, Felix da Costa, but uh, he managed to win that. This wasn't a good lap for championship chasing Verne, though. Uh, he was <laughs> he was involved in an early accident, so he had to make a pit stop. And he had to get a new front wing. But there was a safety car period on lap 20 because Alex Lynn got stuck, uh, and that meant that Vern got back into contention where he was up to 10th into the last lap, except for there was a... Oh, it seems to be every single race this year, a pile-up. And he ended up finishing 15th and out the points. So that's possibly one of the worst possible results for Vern and De Cheetah, who were going after... Both were going after consecutive championships for the driver and um, the manufacturer. This meant that because, uh, sorry, further bad news for Tachita, Lotter was caught by uh, Massa in this whole contact incident on the last lap. Degrassi gained points on Verne, so he reduced the lead to 22 points with 29 points up for grabs on the final day, which was the Sunday. So Sunday was race two, and this time we have a different winner. It was... Uh, Robin Fringe, who won for Envision Virgin Racing. Uh, he held off uh, Alexander Sims and also managed to hold off Sebastian Buemi, who was charging hard for uh, second towards the end of the race. But this all meant, thanks to uh, an accident between Degrassi and Mitch Evans, which saw Degrassi fail to finish, helped Verne to the back-to-back championships because he ended up being seventh. So he's the first driver to have to have recorded back-to-back championships in Formula E since its inception. Uh, and it also meant that Dechita, who raced Dechita, as we seem to be legally obliged to say every time, they also won the uh, Manufacturers or Constructors Championship beating off the Audi team, even though Lotterer didn't finish, uh, had to retire. So uh, well done to uh, everybody involved there at Cheetah. Hopefully next year we can have less of the accidents and more of the racing, because that's been really very tedious this year, I have to say. Maybe just slightly wider tracks. Keeping the old I-8 safety car, uh, putting some, keeping some miles on that. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Right. Now, the lunchtime read. Yes. As somebody who's interviewed lots of different people within the automotive industry, it's actually really nice to see somebody in a senior position really speaking out. Aston Martin's uh, CEO, Andy Palmer, was at the uh, Driving the Future event in London at the end of last week, I think it was, which Aston Martin was mm-hmm. one of the kind of backing companies uh, in, involved with it. And he's actually been really outspoken and said a lot of things that uh, I think there are probably plenty of people behind the scenes, let's say, in the automotive industry thinking this sort of stuff. Is it outspoken or is he just not hiding behind corporate legalese? It's a bit of both. <laughs> no, there's, there's all sorts of statements that have been said about these matters into the press over the last few years, but uh, quite often they get clothed in the kind of the treading, treading safety, coming out with what you're trying to say but not really saying it in a kind of a straight way. <laughs> I don't think you could misinterpret anything that he said. So, I mean, 
he's no. gone for, he's gone for some big ones. So he's referred to the government's Brexit policy as laughable, mainly on the back of uh, it, it just being a, a sort of a massive period of uncertainty. And yeah. th- th- he said actually that uh, it would be better if, to have known a couple of years ago that uh, we were heading for a no deal, so you could at least prepare for. It. He said, "We don't know the problem that we're trying to solve." Yes, that was that was one of the key key phrases that I thought sums up everything that's going on at the minute for for the motor industry because you could also make that uh you could stretch that to include the uh the way that the government looks at cars yes full stop is we don't know what they're going to do so how how can we how can we do anything it's the only certainty is uncertainty right now <laughs> Well, he left the gloves off going after the government's focus on EVs as well. Yeah, this this is this is the kind of the topic that uh, again I think uh, draws polar opinions on uh, on social media. Ah, uh-huh. very good, very good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very fantastic. It, it can very way. rapidly spin out of uh, quite a charged debate. Mm. Sorry, that's a dad joke. I'm mean, having a lot of that. <laughs> His essential, his his take on uh, electric vehicles is that it's it's one route that you can take, but it's not a panacea. He said uh, yeah. you shouldn't really be picking a technology winner because you don't know where the technology is going to go over the next sort of twenty or thirty years. And I think that's quite an interesting perspective. There's a lot of kind of discussion out there of when we're going to get rid of uh, of you know combustion engines, and it's got to happen straight away. We've got to get rid of all this stuff. And it's like there's certainly an argument for reducing, but you can't just it's not like switch, switching on a light. It's it's no. there are many ways to contribute towards an overall path in the right direction. And certainly Aston Martin is is developing. I mean, it's got uh, the Rapid E. It is developing electric cars, and it certainly sees that's part of the solution. So yeah, because he's not he's not dismiss, dismissing the technology. Not at all. He's just yeah. saying, which I think we've said a lot of times on the podcast, and I know we we mentioned it when we had the alternative fuels roundtable. There is not going to be one magic bullet. There isn't one magic bullet. There is going to be technology that is suitable for specific tasks, for specific vehicles in specific areas. Mm. They are going to be more suitable for those, and that's how we're going to have to go. There's going to have to be – it's I'm going into consultancy speech. There's going to have to be a blended approach <laughs> to to this and find a solution through blended, uh, blended solutions. Uh, but that – that's actually what's going to have to happen. No one knows. Well, first of all, we we don't know the problems we're going to have in twenty years mm. <laughs> that, like we did with the diesels. Although we did know those problems then. Mm, yes. Yeah. Ignore them. But there, there are <laughs> there are unknown unknowns right now, mm. and we're going to have to deal with those as time goes on because that there will be ramifications. There will be consequences to whatever decisions we make. Mm. So it's. It, if we spread them out, I think we'll minimise what those ramifications are, and possibly be be better equipped to deal with any changes we need to at the at that point. Yeah, I don't think anyone debates that we, the, the the direction of travel is is certainly towards electrification, but there are other mm. technologies along the way which will all contribute and help to kind of drive us down the right down down that path while mm. we kind of ramp up volumes and the technology improves, particularly on the battery front. I don't think. Like, I don't think it's a particularly contentious thing to say that the battery technology still needs to come along a bit, as though as much yeah. as it has improved over the last ten years, a lot of people will still say that it is the it's the limiting factor at the moment, the weight. Well, we're we're now at that cusp, aren't we? Of particularly with the fact that the, of the the rapid charges we do have, we're at the cusp of the number of batteries we can fit into a car mm. to the convenience for the user. Because mm. obviously the more batteries, the more range you have, the longer that takes to charge. Mm. So as people try this out and understand or realize, actually, I don't need 500 miles. 200 miles is fine because I stop then anyway. Mm. And whilst I'm having a comfort break or whatever, I'm charging mm. and then I'm back on the road and I've got, 200 miles again type thing or whether you know whether it's well actually i've got a lorry so therefore i need i need hydrogen to help me yeah i found a really interesting study a couple of weeks ago in the states here's one have a have a guess on this so this was um looking at a typical class eight truck in the state Mm -hmm. and they estimated that these vehicles would have to carry i can't remember exactly the payload was the average payload i think was between 15 and 20 tons traveling for roughly 600 kilometers at a time 
400 miles and they reckon in order to, to in order to be able to do those sort of duty cycles you would need 12 to 16 tons worth of battery on board <laughs> based on current technology and sort of optimistic current technology as well you're just saying the technology is not ready for those but that's people will come out with yes but what about lorries it's like yeah but actually forget about lorries for now okay except that maybe they're a few steps down the line there is technology here already that can help with the lighter duty vehicles employ that yep. for that there's also technology that can help with the heavy duty vehicles which are going to be more reliant on you know things like bio, biofuels and so on like that and and mm. Things that you could introduce just to kind of reduce the environmental impact, and it all chips away at it while the other technologies yeah. improve in the back in the background. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we do see the you know, battery technology becoming feasible for lorries, and so, but it's not at the moment, and it possibly won't yeah. be for a while. It doesn't mean that you don't you just go. We've got to focus on this. And we only do this, and therefore we miss out on other opportunities. Yeah, can we not accept a, a step in the right direction is a better thing all round? Mm and should be encouraged therefore mm, absolutely. i think that's it because i mean you joked about the polaring but it is it is a very emotive subject that it seems to be well it must be this way or there is no other way by some some on social media thankfully most of those people have no sway when it comes to legislation or making decisions for for industry and the way society is going forward thankfully but it we've we've got to appreciate that there there are those it's going to be some are going to be more suitable than others at this moment because we're in a transition period. Mm. I, mean, I mean, frankly, we're all just waiting for nuclear fission. It's going to power everything forevermore. We'll have phones that never run out of charge and all the rest of it, and then it'll all be perfectly safe and there won't be any risks at all. Well, you've got all of these different. So, I mean, you've got Mercedes with like plug-in hybrid um, fuel cell vehicles, and you've got Toyota doing ethanol, you know, flex fuel hybrids. Make use of the different technologies that are available. These are all mature, you know. You shouldn't necessarily go, we've got to get rid of the combustion. You kind of go, hang on a minute, steady. Yeah. If, you, if you can get, uh, I think it was Emissions Analytics did something the other week where they were talking about the effectiveness of using, and people will take different, you know, take exception to some of the stuff that they come out with, but they were making a point the other week that you could use the resources for batteries to produce more hybrids, therefore delivering overall faster reductions in you know, CO2 emissions and other pollutants than this might be slightly an aside and we are going a delft down the tangent with it but essentially not backing one one technology to the exclusion of everything else not being too blinkered and just accepting that we probably are going to have combustion engines around for certainly 10 20 possibly even 30 years in some form progressively smaller you know the proportion of you know, of the drivetrain that's electrified versus combustion uh, engine driven is going to reduce that's inevitable improve that baseline technology and at the same time why not you know find ways to make that cleaner find ways to put cleaner fuels through it find ways to make it more efficient there's no reason to abandon the technology altogether just because the alternatives are starting to appear you can get you can no. get bait gains out of both of them they are not mature to the same level mm. so uh, and and we have to we have to wait for that Right, I'm going to move up. Well, so uh, in the show notes is the link to this article. There's more stuff he talks about autonomous yeah, vehicles yeah. as well, yes. which which makes me very happy what he said. But uh, <laughs> so you, that gives you a little hint, everybody, of what he what he said. But go through and read it because, if nothing else, uh, as Alex said, it's massively refreshing. Someone of that seniority and having that much weight behind what they say, as in that people will listen to what they say, because he's you know he's been in charge of Nissan. He's 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 worked from the ground up to get to where he is today as well. This is someone who knows what they're talking about from past experience and current experience. So we should listen to what they say. And the fact that he has been so blunt and so frank about it is is brilliant. And hopefully others will be as well. But I fear they won't because they sit there worried that they may say something that spooks shareholders or something. Mm. And and I think he has a little bit more freedom than say the CEO of Mercedes Benz does yes. <laughs> when it comes to that yeah. sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but especially if people willfully mis misconstrued what's being said. To be fair, though, I think if you're going to be that frank, you are. It'd be quite difficult to take those the wrong way. It's very clear, very concise. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's it's good. In, whether you agree with everything he says or not, he makes good points. Well. It's certainly yes. a good way to kind of get people discussing the, the issues that are at hand. Yeah. So I think it's it's useful to just kind of get that dialogue going, get people talking about yeah. it. Please, yeah, can we talk instead of screaming at each other? That'd be good, that's, that, that's not really working in case no one's noticed. Oh, yeah. 
tribal <laughs> politics, tribal, yeah, tribal everything. Anything, yeah. anything is just is just bad. Right on to happier topics though, and this is the the news that we finally, after a long absence, have a Gavin Braithwaite Smith list of the week, and this is the twenty greatest go faster stripes from a motoring research article, and in here are some outstanding ones. I'm not going to run through them all. I'm just going to cherry-pick one or two, starting with the Renault 8 Gordini, which is an absolute... Oh, it's just... It's stunning. It's superb, and I want that car so badly. Also in there, there's there's a few here that I, I just didn't... I wasn't expecting, like the AMC Gremlin X, but it is a great stripe. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, and, and another favourite for me... Well, there's there's two more favourites, but uh, one favourite is the Ford Cruising Van, which just sounds so wrong on so many levels. <laughs> That's just there was a, a different era, I think, is how we can yes. <laughs> encapsulate that. Uh, today, they would, I think, be putting some yummy mummy in it, taking the children with the surfboard on top to a beach somewhere <laughs> and, and calling it something else. Uh, <laughs> Rather than cruising. <laughs> but my final favourite is the Porsche 911 RSR, because I do like a cliche, but it is superb. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with most things in the Martini livery, to be fair. Gavin has is, is done well with this list here. He has done very well. I didn't realise the uh, Fiat X19 had that much grill under the bumper. It's interesting that he's name-checked Peter Brock, as in Brock Racing Enterprises, Peter Brock, on the Shelby Mustang GT350. It's actually not a lot of people know that actually the the Shelby stripe was just... Um, so Peter Brock was a hot rodder and had a, a hot-rodded uh, 1930s, 1940s Ford that had the, the twin stripes on it and when he started working at Shelby. And he just he was a car designer and he... He put it on the put it on the Shelby's, and it's it's become a, a Shelby hallmark. So it's nice to see him name checked, and he doesn't always get doesn't always get properly credited with it. Ah, well done, Gavin. You got extra nerd points as well as as well I'm as this being an enjoyable list. It's extra nerd points. <laughs> uh, right, that leads us on to the and finally. Yeah, so have we actually found here uh, a use of AI that uh, that you might you might actually approve of here? Uh, I don't think it's actually AI, but yes, the the, the, the technology, yes. No, I suppose it's it's yes, it's 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 claimed. No, no there's a, a London-born student has developed a service called Do Not Pay, and it is supposedly the world's first robot lawyer for um, parking tickets. Apparently, it's taken on a quarter of a million cases, and it's won uh, 160,000 of those. So it's overturned 160,000 parking tickets worth a combined $4 million. But that's just in London and New York. Yes, exactly. So it's, uh, yeah, expanding to yes, expanding to Seattle next. It's, uh, yeah, it's an uh, interesting use of uh, supposed, supposed AR. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's a little chatbot thing when you go through there, and it asks you a, few, a couple of simple questions to just see whether you're potentially eligible to appeal against the, against the parking ticket. Uh, and if it deems you are, then it will walk you through the process of what you need to do to um, to follow that up. And I think that, that that is, much as I rail against technology, I know that may be a shock to some people to understand that I do that, but uh, I think that's a brilliant, this is a brilliant use of technology that actually helps the public in an easy way where no one wants to pay a parking ticket and there is there are more than enough examples of tickets being given when they shouldn't be and companies perhaps encouraging that sort of behavior on their ticket giving people or their their software that automatically puts a ticket out in the post to you and you you receive it a week or so later so the fact that this this can be used to fight unfair things i think is brilliant i think it is absolutely brilliant so if you were to live in london Click through on the uh, show note, and then you'll find you'll find a link to the "Do Not Pay" on the article that uh, we're referring to here. And more power to uh, to the elbow of the programmer, because uh, if he can if he can make that roll out for you know just standardised across 
the UK alone. I, I think we'll all be thankful for it. I'm trying to work out from this whether it's something that you pay for um, or whether it's, no, it's a free, free service. Yeah. It's free. It is free. Because this is the thing. Not only has he developed this, but he's actually launched it as a something that he's not necessarily kind of making loads of money out of. And actually, there's a potential there, even if you were charging sort of five pounds a case. If you factor that based on, what's it, a quarter of a million, <laughs> there's a market in there. Somewhere. Who knew technology could be used for good without <laughs> without absolutely <laughs> screwing us into the ground? Yeah, if you're not, but you, it's, it's that kind of my God. Usually, if, if you're if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. That's what they usually say, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, interesting one. Right, that is. I think about it, there are no parish notes. Uh, again, just to reiterate, though, there's plenty of content to come out. Just things are happening behind the scenes which are making it tricky for me to get said content out. But as soon as I can, there are special editions lined up to come out. There are rear views lined up to come out. Um, and as soon as I can get them out to you all, I will, and I will scream and shout about it on social media so you are all very much aware. So do not forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts on the show of the, with uh, the Twitter handle of at Motoring Podcast and the same on Instagram. And there is a book of face page, which you can uh, get in touch with. And there's also the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, which is the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember that you can, if you so wish and are able to, support us via Patreon. You can also leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does help us and it really it really makes a difference to, uh, to us uh, appearing in charts and for people to help stumble across us uh, who may also enjoy what we do. Alex, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, I would say probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. I'm on there all the time. My username on there is Alex Grant UK, all one word, no underscores or anything like that. I'm also on Instagram, same username, but there's an underscore between Alex Grant and UK. Okay, well, I will make sure that links are in the show notes so people can get, just click through on those to get directly to you. If you would like to search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter, it's probably the best way to get a hold of me. I am also on instagram but twitter i will definitely uh, find you there if you get in touch uh, and if you would like to uh, harangue alan and ask him where on earth is he because he has been unable to find an internet that will enable him to speak to us and therefore you uh, the best way to do that is via twitter if you search for at ajp bradley that's b-r-a-d-l-e-y you'll find him there uh, we'll be back next week but until then I've been Andrew Clues. I've been Alex Grant. And safe motoring.